0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruskin, I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here and is the new president of the Wisconsin <laughs> Hunter and Jumper Association. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Welcome, Jorna. Uh,
1: thanks for that brilliant introduction, Matt.
0: Congratulations. What
2: presidencies do you hold now?
1: Just one. Okay. I mean, and of all I survey.
0: (laughs) There we go. And, of course, he has chimed in. It's Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So it's, uh, what, we're a couple weeks out of the holidays here, and it's a busy week, and so there's lots of news, and we're going to move through a number of stories, uh, including getting started with the big news from Kohler, Wisconsin, and that is that the workers at the Kohler plant, and these are members of UAW Local 883, have agreed overwhelmingly to a contract with Kohler. And so this is great news. I know uh, we've talked quite a bit and actually had a uh, representative from UAW on to talk about the strike and definitely see this as an important uh, moment here for labor in the state and for our economy. And obviously, would like to get the thoughts of the panel on um, on, on this news. And any aspects of, you know, sort of how you feel this, you know, how important this is at this given time for labor to have a victory like this. And, and I, I will throw it out there as a victory. They're, the workers got significantly higher wages, both, both tiers, and they still will have a two-tier structure, and better benefits and wages. So I think that's important. Uh, uh, as the president said, there is no real winners in a strike, but clearly here the workers did much better than they did going in
2: well the huge issue the big two big two big issues were healthcare costs because our states doing nothing about healthcare costs and so it's left to each employer and it was being shifted to workers dramatically, and second, the dreaded two-tier contract which divides workers and essentially says that uh, more senior workers get middle-class jobs and uh, younger workers do not, which of course is really divisive and makes it really hard for workers to be on the same page and come together and divides them. And so the story here is, is that the having the strike, the running the strike well, Uh, called Kohler's bluff and proved the workers were united. And that's why they got tangible uh, progress. So as it's always been, even though labor's under attack, even though the laws have been distorted against them, when workers stand together, they still win. That's what this means.
0: I mean, let's remember, we are now a right-to-work state. And let me just say, 92% of the workers voted and 91% voted for the contract. That's an amazingly impressive amount of support for their democratic union and for th- for this contract.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I have anything you know of, of serious substance to add other than I think that this really does demonstrate that workers' power does still exist, and when they come together, especially in the face of things like Act 10 and a right-to-work state, that there is still... People still recognize the opportunities that they will have with, I don't know, an increase in their living wage and in their personal um, situations to be able to provide for their families. So I think that this demonstrated that the power of labor is, is not dead.
0: The one thing I want to point out is the, the increase, the actual raw dollar amount increase for the tier 2 workers, and that is it's going to go up four $4.70 an hour. That is a significant increase given to the kind of concessions a lot of unions have been taking. I think it's important to put that in the perspective of some of the movement that's going on around the fight for 15 and the notion of higher expectations for what our wage floor ought to be. And I think it's very important to point out that the top tier only is getting $2 an hour more and that those workers understand, as Robert mentioned, the importance of dealing with that uh bringing that gap down between the two tiers uh, 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 of the pay.
1: Let's let's be clear that these, while that is a huge victory for both of those tiers, it's over four years. It's $4.70 Sh- sure. over four years and $2 over four years. So if we're talking about keeping up with rates of inflation, it's still going to be outdated at the end of that four years. However, you bring up a great point that this just adds... To the sort of overall narrative that we're seeing move through the country on how we need a better, more livable wage and access to healthcare.
0: Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I'm not here to say that um, this is no, going to. No. We're going to be pulling trailers with uh, brand shiny new boats and uh, uh, fancy, fancy new things because of the contract for everyone. But clearly, we're. I think we're seeing. Uh, a change in the tide. I think this is very important, and uh, you know, shout out to everyone who contributed money, who contributed food, who contributed their time to go up and just talk with the workers and actually hear what's at stake. Um, I think it was an, it's an important moment, and so kudos to everyone who who helped kind of make this happen, namely the. Uh, almost 2,000 workers who showed a tremendous amount of solidarity and uh, demonstrated that labor is definitely uh, uh, far from dead in Wisconsin.
2: And another breaking story on labor, which I think is related, Uh, Menards, after media coverage, has rescinded its anti-union policy, where they threatened to fire any manager if a union formed on their watch. So again, this is a worker standing up, this is shining a light on union busting, which is why we don't have more unions uh, mo- if you if you survey workers a vast majority of workers would like to have a union um and so uh, i think menards workers should go and take the next step now and f- and follow the suit of the Coles workers and stand together because i'm sure uh, in the service industry that menards workers are not really paid their value to the company
1: i feel like my mother may have gotten mad at a menards once and lit her credit card either on fire or throwing <laughs> uh-huh. it at the <laughs> customer service desk <laughs> Save no money at Menards.
0: Well, you know, wild <laughs> things happen at but those Menards. But save some workers now. So with that, we are going to transition to other news here in the state, and these are uh, specifically political uh, this week, Walker signed the legislation that essentially dismantles Gab and, and guts our campaign finance laws. Jorna, I know you're one of our lead uh, people who follows our democracy or what's left of it in terms of our accountability and <laughs> transparency. Uh, I'm for not sure that the yeah. D
1: can get any smaller in small-D democracy here in Wisconsin. Look everybody put their shocked face on this bill was signed sealed delivered the moment that it was introduced for the most part i mean progressives put up a good fight not even progressives people who care about government and access to government and regulation of our campaign finance and transparency of the system but but this is this is just kicking us back the the Government Accountability Board changes or gutting, dismantling, takes us back to a state elections board. It takes us back to no accountability, and it takes us back to cronyism in its worst form. And so we're going to see increasingly less transparency in local elections from top to bottom.
2: So I would agree with all the adjectives that are being thrown out by our movement, atrocious, awful, corrupt, you know, a step
0: backwards. Bad. Bad, 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 Robert, you've been sampling all the press releases that (laughs) went out yesterday that are sitting on our desk here.
1: Bad, super bad.
2: (laughs) And that's all appropriate. We should remember a couple things. First, that quite frankly, despite the existence of Gab, which is clearly a better structure than what's coming in, this had not stopped corruption. It did not stop John Doe. You now have, because of the Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court, uh, basically unlimited campaign spending uh, being legalized, and and this bizarre fiction that somehow all of the spending ha- is about good government and has nothing to do with getting something in return. Like when pharma spends uh, tens of millions of dollars, they're not trying to remain unregulated as an industry and be able to charge $700 per pill. And so, we I guess we want, to, we want to be very careful that, this is, that we didn't have an aspirational system that prevented corruption, and that we need to keep fighting for that. And in some respects, this actually helps us do that because it, it makes them state their position, right? They've, they've outed themselves, so to speak. And the second thing is there's a real fine line between uh, rabble-rousing and saying how terrible things are and actually uh, making the public feel like it's hopeless. And the cynicism is corrosive. And so we need to find a way, even though it really does seem hopeless, right? I don't want to claim it. I want to be, you know, say, oh, everything's wonderful. We're going to win. And the public is rising and da, 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 right? But we need to inspire the public that they can actually take back their own government. Uh, they're convinced that government is, is for sale for the highest bidder, which is true and therefore they don't want to use government to actually improve their own lives and expand opportunity and freedom in the United States. That's the problem. And so this just adds to all that. In a bizarre sort of way, the cynicism this engenders actually helps the right, even though it's been launched and executed
0: by the right. And that concludes this week's first installment of a messenger moment. And so for folks who don't understand what that means, I'm going to provide a little bit of background and uh, a shout-out to one of our cooperative members uh, joe messenger who has asked that on the podcast we attempt to occasionally talk about what we ought to be doing and what could he say to someone in ozaki county and i think you just laid out something very clearly that you could talk to someone who maybe is more conservative about what a vision ought to be about how our democracy ought to function right and 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 get out of sort of the partisan back and forth but about just sort of where does bribery occur? What is it, undue influence, and in, in, in what you just said? And so, we're yeah. going to do that every once in a while. We're going to call that a messenger moment. And that's going to be, we're going to try to at least come up and, with moments where we actually talk about something that and s- con- people can use. Conservative folks,
2: Matt chose Ozaki County, uh, where Oz- Ozaki, I know that's Messenger where Joe chose messenger Ozaki lives County. In, that uh, in Ozaki County do not support legalized bribery, okay? They may vote for people that do but that's a different matter. And so we need to be able to make the case. And the way they ended the old kind of bribery is you didn't have to prove a quid pro quo. It was considered uh, uh, de facto a bribe if a large amount of money in a paper bag was handed over to a politician. But apparently, you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars for said politicians, and it's not de facto a bribe. That's the problem here. And, And they have to actually have a smoking gun uh, by the way, you know the open records law attack will prevent the smoking gun. You have to say, uh, literally, uh, if you spend a million dollars for me, I will give you X. Thank you. I spend a million dollars for you. Thank you for giving me Y.
1: Well, so I think this is also another great opportunity to use these messenger moments mm-hmm. as a an opportunity to highlight a lot of the good public policy that is coming out of a lot of our partners as solutions. And we don't always have the biggest bully pulpit as legislators do. In fact, we never have the big bully pulpit like legislators and opinion leaders and editorial boards and all of those folks we have.
0: We have a podcast.
1: We do him. have, a, we <laughs> have, but a, but a podcast it that is, that is but going worldwide <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that my boss now listens to. So, um... Excellent, eh? But I think that it is important to use this also to highlight the, the stuff that will take back our state Absolutely. and to give folks the talking points and the opportunities to, to talk about what Planned Parenthood is putting forward and Citizen Action and all of these great organizations.
2: And we should talk about editorial boards for a second because editorial boards have been for clean, open government yeah. all along. <laughs> and let's, re- let's remember it hasn't mattered, I mean, for decades, right? number one, so people are not going to page eight of their papers uh, d- d- to decide what's important to them and enough to throw people out anyway. And the second thing is we have too many editorial boards and I like editorial boards. They publish our op-eds, so I don't want to offend them. But in general, this is awful. This is the travesty. This is a shredding of our democracy. And then six months later, we endorse Scott Walker.
0: So. <laughs> Again, this issue, another reason why I think it's important is it's going to transcend all the elections next year, both the spring elections for Supreme Court and kind of the political partisan takeover of our courts and, and certainly the influence of the, the this, this money, right, and the bribery has come into the courts, and it will also go into the fall elections uh, for obvious reasons, so it's important. You
2: know, they used to they used to, to talk to, about this. They used to have to try to hide it a little. If you ever, it's still the case. If you ever go look at the major military contractors, right? They all call themselves things like "Good Government Funds." You know, <laughs> uh, the you know the
0: Blackwell Good Government Fund.
2: You <laughs> know, I mean, literally. So they are literally like trying to pretend this is all about them promoting democracy.
0: So we are going to talk about another thing that happened this week, and. That is, uh, we have both uh, Representative Peter Barca and Senator Lassa introducing legislation that we've, that they've talked about in the, I would say in September they started talking about it, uh, but introduced it uh, this week, and that is to essentially shut down, or at least completely overhaul WEDAC so that most of its functions, particularly as it relates to loans and things like that, are brought back into stronger public oversight. Um, The Act board is meeting today as we record, so we'll see if this is even on the discussion uh, in the board meeting. Uh, Robert, I know the last time we talked about this, um, you had some advice in terms of how this is definitely an important step forward, but understanding that it isn't just about bringing the thing into government we need to set some clear goals and standards for what we ought to be doing with our economic dollars
2: right so it's really important for us not to not to paint with too broad a brush and to have kind of a black and white thing that people actually that leaders do exactly what you want exactly when or or they're bad right this is a major step forward, and this is coming from two leaders that really worked very hard constructively to make WEDEC work, and actually ad- and actually got, in many ways, dragged through the mud because every time something horrible happened, WEDEC would say, well, it's bipartisan. We have Representative Barca and Senator Lhasa uh, on wedec So they, they, they have turned, turned that around. They, they call it repeal and replace. Uh, and... And, that, and they've set up a framework, which is very important. So that's a very important step. The next step that needs to happen, so this is not to be negative, this is just we're trying to get to, you know, expanding economic opportunity. And they, they did take the name that we've also suggested, the Department of Economic Opportunity. The next step is having a real strategy to rapidly expand in all parts of the state, for all people, the access to good middle-class jobs. Because all of the jobs that we lost during the Great Recession were middle class and upper income jobs. All of the job gains have been in low wage sectors. There is no plan. So you have to have a decent agency uh, with the right goal in order to have a plan. So it's a very important first step. Uh, we actually last year had a situation where employment went up. You hear Walker saying, oh, unemployment's low, employment's low. Of course, unemployment is the people still looking, right? But even given that, a poverty rate went up at the same time unemployment went down. So the jobs are trash, literally, and so and the, and you have 59% African American men un, not employed in Milwaukee. So, and what is the plan for that? What is the WEDEC plan? In other countries, I know we don't like to talk about other countries, but uh, you know, England is a lo- is pretty close to us. A lot of our government institutions came from England. Okay, uh, England actually integrates their anti-poverty uh, programs, their child poverty programs, education programs with economic development to create one unified strategy to create opportunity. We don't do that. We just say, oh, we built this, we built that. We deck ribbon cutting. We gave this company this, and they added two jobs in in, in Manaqua. I mean, and no notion of any connection to any strategy whatsoever.
0: Yeah, well, I want to underscore kudos on getting this moving forward. I think the important it is important to to realize most people don't know what we deck is they they understand what robert was just talking about they understand what outsourcing is they and and we need to be talking about what those strategies are because those are what will resonate with people. So it's a huge opportunity, and uh, we look forward to 2016. Actually, really engaging in this discussion because it's critical. Matt, it'll be Matt it'll be a major a, part of what the elections are going to be about. Uh, Matt next makes cycle. a great
2: point. Not only is they not a strategy, there's a strategy of aiding companies that are sending more jobs than we're paying to create overseas or out of the state.
0: And so that's why it's golden, right? You have this huge thing you can talk about that's not talking specifically about WEDEC. WEDEC provides the opportunity uh, to have the conversation with the public. With that, we are going to switch to our next topic, which is one final in-state topic around badger care. And there was some important news that came out this week in terms of what it is costing us with the ridiculous decision not to accept the federal funds for Badger Care, And that is it is costing us $1.07 billion by 2021, Jorna.
1: We can totally afford that since, you know, employment is great in Wisconsin. And, um, you know, we don't have any budget holes to fill. So this is hey, a great this, decision. Jorna, this what? is
0: not oh, oh. the Wisconsin hunter-jumper budget we're talking about. I realize you guys are <laughs> flush. <laughs> wow. Things are going well. We're talking about the Wisconsin state budget. <laughs> Oh. Here it's a oh. complete. It's in red. Oh, it's yes. I get okay, come back. Easily. Come back to okay. So yes, so bad it, one billion dollars. And Robert, you've mentioned before, right, that you're very. Op- you've been optimistic. You're not optimistic on a lot of things all the time, but on this one, you've been incredibly optimistic that Walker's going to eventually take this money because of this budget hole, and so now we have an actual number, and it's one billion dollars. <laughs>
2: Well, that is if he's running for re-election. Oh, it's always there. Because he's created a House of Cards budget situation. So does he want to deliver a budget in 2017? Or is he expecting to be appointed Secretary of Labor by President Cruz?
0: (laughs) Oh, jeez.
1: I just threw up in my mouth. Oh, (laughs) my God.
0: Wow. All right. Well, we are... Speak, we you, need to take a break here at the battleground. Right. <laughs> speaking,
1: speaking of uh ah, Oof. Sorry, you're gonna oh, that that's a, Are you going to that Are
2: you
0: going to talk more about that? That's an alternative reality. Are you done on Badger Care? No.
2: Well, I, it's almost like we don't even need to talk about it. It's there's no defense of it. It's the most political, ideological, self-defeating thing imaginable. And it's amazing that you'd have a governor that would take on this kind of political burden, both fiscally and in terms of where public is on the issue itself, and what it does to average people, people just above the poverty line, struggling to work their way towards the American dream, who now have much less affordable, in many cases unaffordable, health care.
1: Um, speaking of the political burden for about 10 seconds, if anybody watched the GOP debate the other night on CNN, that was quite the political burden and um, crap show <laughs> that was on stage. It, it was amazing to watch uh, Rubio snipe at Cruz like he was this little, you know, yapping Jack Russell, which I know much about. Um, <laughs> and and to just see that Cruz emerging as a Front runner, I just it's fascinating. He's it was statesman- fascinating. He's statesmanly, oh, <laughs> oh, he looks like Frankenstein.
2: Well, it's, it's it's a perfect storm for him because in a normal presidential election, uh, there'd be a lot of focus on how <laughs> normal. No, seriously, about how close he is to the line between deeply extremely conservative and fascistic, right?
1: Between crazy and psychotic.
2: Yeah, and but no, he looks all normal compared to Trump and Carson and Fiorina.
1: So, uh, so
2: uh, though he, though and it, then Rand it, Paul, pick it, me, pick me. And, and it's normal to, quote-unquote, make the desert glow. Yeah. That is his evocative well, phrase.
1: Well, once we, you know, carpet.
0: <laughs> so, so I'm going to interrupt this <laughs> wonderful 60-second review of the latest right-wing uh uh, uh debate uh, just to remind folks that information that we just gave you about badger care the the one trillion dollars i don't believe that story was picked up in any media source this week i know uh kudos to the democrats for getting it out even uh u.s senator baldwin put out a release i, I didn't see anything maybe there was i i feel like it's it's really important news given that we continue to have republican governors around the country we we've moving to take this. It's it's happening, you know, everywhere <laughs> except for here. It's, we're it's looking, like we're living in a
2: we're looking at the further surreal.
0: degeneration of the
2: media. And I know I'm talking about state versus national here, but we're not covering news that matters to people. We're covering billion dollars. power and what's sensational. And so if care can't happen because a decider decided, then it's not news would seem to be the deal, right? And so at the national level, whatever insulting thing Trump says or getting someone to say something against Trump, which was the premise of almost every question of the other candidates, uh, that's, that's all there is. And what they might actually do as president. Well, maybe we'll hear a little about that.
1: Maybe a Kardashian could talk about there Badger Care in
0: Wisconsin. Oh, there you go. That's probably right. And on that note, we are going to transition to one of my favorite parts of the show, and that is our Paul Ryan watch. Ryan watch.
2: Ryan watch.
0: And um, this week we are spending more time talking about Paul Ryan's beard. And, and Jorna, you have sort of led the national debate and discussion on Paul Ryan's beard. And, and you, listeners, you may think that this is a trivial topic and why is this podcast spending time talking about Paul Ryan's beard. Well, I kid you not, it is now major news in the New York Times. Jorna, you broke I a did. story, what we talked about in terms of the beard and what Paul Ryan's doing. and It is now in the New York Times.
1: Uh, I would just like to say that the esteemed paper of record, the gray lady, is taking cues from the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. That makes me feel kind of like a celebrity.
0: Well, to be clear, the title, and this is just out yeah. yesterday, Paul Ryan's beard triggers a style debate. And, Jordan, you were the right. one who broke this initial style debate, so... Keep us up to date. Well, deba- I won't date. say that
1: I, I broke it necessarily, but I, I do think the fact that this debate continues, uh, GQ calling it the eye-roll-inducing style move, equivalent to your father showing up to dinner on a skateboard. Uh, but there were some <laughs> of oh, oh. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> that
0: happens in my neighborhood.
1: That happens at uh, your house. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, all right,
0: I will shrink away.
1: Um. I, I do think that this is worthy of of discussing because it is clearly a strategy of Paul Ryan and the right to to reform this public opinion of what the stodgy old older white dude Republican party looks like. And instead it can be this hip bearded kind of hipster cool guy that is, you know, listening to good music and hanging out.
0: And then you watch the debates. And
1: then you watch the debates and (laughs) he's not up there and there's crazy town, but you know, so, so I think that it really is. He is, he is as he's at the center of the entire political system because he is, but on the flip side He has not been able to be this sort of uniter among his own party as the spending bill comes out and he's being attacked by none other than Breitbart. Breitbart.
0: Yep. So folks who've missed it, um, they're basically saying that... um,
2: There's no no more Breitbart. There's the institution that goes on in his...
0: That's right. Paul, Paul Ryan betrays America, right? And so, Jorna, you were also the first one to bring this to our podcast, and we spent time talking about could he hold this together? How long would the honeymoon last? And, well, I guess it's December 16th of uh, (laughs) 2015, the assault. So, yeah, basically it's a 10 10... 10-part uh, list of all the atrocities Paul Ryan has wrought upon the country and basically selling out uh, conservative America. So I guess it's, uh, the honeymoon is over. And
1: and let's be honest, in the spending bill, there are benefits for both, in the omnibus, there's there's benefits for Democrats and Republicans. And benefits, I, I use that sort of um, tongue-in-cheek, but there are things that appease both major political parties.
0: Because we're trying to get a budget done here where we know, have a president who's a Democrat, right? Yeah, yes. well, little,
1: why little are you with the terrorists, Little fa- little
0: factoid <laughs> that
1: uh, is so, governing. So, as Speaker, Ryan is actually, it looks like, trying to do what the job of the Speaker should be and bring some consensus, but that will never, ever be good enough for the far-right fascist wing of the Republican Party.
2: So... There's an irony within an irony in that the gray lady, as you called the NYT, actually is trying to prove she's not a gray lady, and so in a way, in order to because she's in danger of losing market share to the Washington Post, which is surging digitally, and so therefore they have there's a there's
1: a redheaded woman (laughs) there's a
2: confluence of interest between the bearded. Speaker and the gray lady looking to be on a skateboard.
0: I was going to say I think <laughs> and, the gray lady's delivering newspapers on a skateboard. But some of these quote
2: quotations are absolutely precious. Uh, the beard shows that he's not a, in of Washington. He's not part of the system. Um, let's see. We Take also that. we also had any boy can become president unless he's got a mustache. And then we got, indeed, for much of the 20th century, beards with the stuff mostly of Marxist (laughs) guerrillas, Fidel Castro, Ho Chi Minh, campus radicals, and later, some sensitive 70s types. I'm thinking of Michael from uh, All in the Family. Oh, my
0: God, a meme is being developed right here as you speak, Robert.
2: And then, finally, my favorite, as a leader of a factious party, fractious party, that's true, a lot of people would like a piece of him. He is signaling with his face that he has been saying in so many words, I will lead on my own terms, I'm my own
0: man, and will not take guff from anyone.
1: That's, that's a very talkative beard. <laughs>
0: that is that is journalism New York Times 19, wow. to, uh, 2015 style. So when is the Walker beard coming? So All right, so with that, basically, no matter... I'm just trying to say our podcast is maybe ahead of the curve and... In terms of quality and, and knowing what sleaze to bring to the public. <laughs> um, so with that, we are going to, before we move to our furloughs, Robert, we you have some news around some endorsements citizen action made last week at our uh, board meeting, and annual meeting, and it's related to uh, some races in the spring election.
2: And it's uh, stunning, of course. So... In the U.S. Senate race, I know people will find this yep. very, very suspenseful. Hold on, drum roll, we have Ron Johnson examined the records uh, of all the yep. candidates and projected what they would do as a U.S. senator. Ah. and therefore
1: you love Rojo,
2: Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Uh, it was a tough call. <laughs> is supporting he has a
1: beard,
0: <laughs> Russ Russ Feingold. Oh. All right, <laughs> yes. So that is the fall race where they're in has been an endorsement so some of our listeners live in the milwaukee area and understand that there is um a highly competitive county executive race and rumor has it uh citizen action made an endorsement in that race
2: well one candidate is a regular podcast listener and been a frequent podcast guest huh senator chris larson uh The other candidate, I don't know if the the incumbent county executive, uh, Chris but I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast. I know he's had staff listen to the podcast, so that's at least something. But nonetheless, there was a major discussion, and this also has to do, quite frankly, uh, with our opinion that where we are right now in Wisconsin, that we need to elect progressive champions because we need to articulate a strong progressive agenda if we're going to actually do something in 10 years. And so this is...
0: Let her just go, this is.
2: So we see Chris Larson as a, a, a young, up-and-coming uh, politician who is committed to progressive values. and We can see him leading in the, in the, in the, in the 2020s when we take power uh, the next great era of Wisconsin progressive reform, being one of the leaders of that movement.
0: So in addition to, uh, to, to Chris Larson... Um, what is the other endorsement that was made? I believe there was another M- Milwaukee mayor's endorsement. Uh, we do we, we do sometimes endorse
2: incumbents, and so um, our board has decided that the best candidate for mayor of Milwaukee is the current mayor of Milwaukee, uh, Mayor Tom Barrett. And those of you outside of Milwaukee, you do know uh, Mayor Barrett because he's run for governor uh, and it, it took on that. Uh, thankless task of trying to re- win the election, uh, we call election that we could have won if we could have had it in a timely fashion, but was way too delayed. But what people don't know, the other various candidates, uh, Barrett is being challenged like from the kind of the kind of right that would feel at home on the Republican presidential primary stage, and so I'm seeing like Bob Donovan signs in Bayview. And it's kind of embarrassing. I think about that house. Who lives there? That once, but uh, and the, the statewide people won't know this, but just, you know, think Ted Cruz. Well, think Donald Trump. I you, mean,
0: you yeah. raised something kind of scary, and and I will say, my one of, my neighbor has a Bob Donovan sign, and my neighbor generally votes Democratic. So I think it's, it it just shows. Look, there's a lot of economic hurt out there, and. You know, people are looking for for folks who lead. And, and so it, it's it's a difficult environment. But we, we definitely believe Tom is 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 better than than who's out there. And so we, we have endorsed uh, Tom for, for next spring's mayor election. With that, I'm going to move to the furloughs. Jorna, so I assume you have a board meeting uh, over at the Hunter Jumper Association this weekend. Uh, Got to get that budget uh, surplus all figured out what you're going to do with it.
1: How? You're going to get my horse friends listening to this, <laughs> and they're going to think that you know, we're rolling in the cash. We're not. <laughs> this is all volunteer. Shocker. Um, actually, I'm looking forward to doing nothing except spending some time with everybody's two favorite horses,
0: I have one, George. I don't. You have another <laughs> and horse. Reno. Sh- Reno needs to be
1: Stop taken out, George.
0: George, I know you listen.
1: Yeah, well, because um,
0: that's what I hear.
1: After an exciting last weekend full of music and seeing um, Matt
0: Weezer, that Weezer, awesome. I went with my son. It was great. I thought
1: Weezer was average.
0: Oh, I, I really I know, enjoyed I'm it. Your heart. I enjoyed it from the balcony. You did, yes, yes.
1: I was down, you know, down on the lower level with Say the it people. Ain't so. <laughs> So You're horses, a heartbreaker. me and horses.
0: <laughs> Robert, what are you doing this weekend?
2: Well, we're still in triage mode. The end of the year is actually the worst part of the year from a work uh, crush standpoint. So we have our annual uh, healthcare cost ranking report coming out early next week, which we will probably mention next week on whatever podcast formats we create in the holiday week. Uh, but I got—I've started uh, holiday shopping. Oh, and I got something really cool and. Uh, video game related nope. for my nephews last night but I've I more it was for of Kevin Kane more of that to do <laughs> yes well Kevin likes devices as much as my nephews that's true but well, uh, I the found millennial this, generation loves I found its this really
0: hot new uh, metal compilation record I'm going to get Kevin cuz <laughs> we know Kevin likes to rock
1: <laughs> so so Robert's having a typical Robert furlough where uh-huh. Robert will work
0: Oh come on now! He's going shopping too. Going it shopping. is the holiday. He's in the holiday spirit. Uh, I am too. I've got, I've got uh, parties to go to. I'm actually going to. Um, so popular? Oh, this is p- actually a rarity for me. I've got two two different uh, events mm-hmm. I'm going to be attending this Saturday. One is uh, th- for the Sumners, who basically are the Godfathers of uh, dirt track racing in Wisconsin, and they're having a holiday party. So I'm looking forward to seeing people we don't we haven't seen in a few months. I'm also going to Dave Summerscale's housewarming party. Dave has moved back. Dave's an organizer, rep with uh, SEIU and janitors. He's moved back to River West with his wife, and so I'm thrilled. He left that um, horrible, awful place down on the south side and came back to... He the, wasn't in n-
1: Bayview, I don't came think. Came
0: back to Nirvana. Yeah, he was in Bayview. Technically, Bayview claims Oklahoma Avenue.
1: Parts so
0: he yes. So Garden District still not a You claim that section anyways dave welcome back to river west and with that we want to thank brian will who makes the podcast happen every week it makes us not sound crazy and we will see everyone next week here at the battleground wisconsin